Hello, Northeast Christian Church, and welcome to our online services. Thank you for joining us today. If you miss any part of today's service and you want to catch it again, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify. We also encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay up to date on everything we have going on here at the church. God bless, and enjoy the rest of the service. I don't know what it is with those mega churches, you know, where they do that, and they probably got like an applause sign, like applause, applause, applause. But thanks for making me feel good, and we are going to have a great service today, and we are focused on the reason why we're here as a church, to know God, find freedom, to discover purpose, and most importantly, to make a difference for God's kingdom. When you're in the world, it's easy to say, hey, know me, find pleasure, discover a platform and make a dollar, but God calls us to greater things, and here's the great part of it. He doesn't want to change you. He doesn't want to make you be anything other than yourself, but he wants you to allow him to weave all through your story so that as you go, as you do, as you are who you are, that you impact lives and you impact eternity. You, that you don't have to be a minister to do that. You are ministers, according to the gospel. You, we equip you as pastors to do the work of service. And so this series is always something we do each year to help us just get back on track to focus. And so if I tell you, did I take a step right here, you would tell me, no, because all I did was pivot. It's not until you take the next move that you've actually moved forward in your walk. And the question is, is what's your next step? There's always a next step. Jesus said uh, through Peter, when they were talking to the crowds, they said, what, what should we do now that we're Christians? He said, repent. And then they're like, okay, we repent. And he said, be baptized. So if you've never been baptized, I don't care if it's 20 years ago or not, take the plunge, take the dip. Your Duke can handle it, man. Just get like drippy and undone for Jesus. Text office at lolag.org. Follow in obedience and make what a public demonstration of an eternal difference that God's done in your life. I encourage you to do it. I did it when I was in my second year of Bible college, and I was like, wow, I've never been baptized. And they were like, well, what keeps you from being baptized? And I was like, getting wet. And they're like, well, just here, here's a choir uniform. I wore a choir thing, and, it, and there was nothing under it. And so I was kind of praying to the Lord that it wouldn't like, you know, but it was great. Listen, we, we talked about knowing God. That's a vertical experience. You don't need anyone to come to know who God is, and God wants you to know him personally and individually. That's a relationship. It, you can't just know church. You gotta know God, for, and that comes through prayer and through listening to him through his word. And with audio books and audio Bibles and ESV and Dwell, the Dwell app, you could have it to music. It's a great way to just add that. My wife, when she's driving in, she's listening to the Bible on audio as she's driving into work. And it's a great way, I do it where I'll listen to it and I'll read it at the same time. And uh, it just helps drill it down deeper. I, I, I make, maybe you're the kind you read it and you make notes, but get God's word in you and it'll help you. But you want, God wants you to know him. He knows who you are. But we also find freedom, that's a horizontal experience. Uh, nobody sins alone, but nobody gets free alone, and more importantly, nobody stays free alone. And that's why we have great ministries like uh, Celebrate Recovery that meet Friday evenings. And, yep, yeah, right there, Jim, the guy that has uh, all those speeding tickets that wants them cleared from the police department. Um, 
So come join the crowd, and that's a great place because you need people in your life carrying you along and carrying you further in to the journey. That's That, for some of you, is what that second step is. If you are new here or you've been here and you've never been through Next, 9 a.m. every Sunday in the back right room, Pastor, you could start as soon as next week. We encourage you to do that. And uh, there's so much more I could say. Uh, however, uh, I would like to let you know of one community announcement before I jump into what we're going to talk about. If you are here and you are 65 years of age or older, we've been in contact with elder services in the Merrimack Valley, and we want to set up an appointment with you with them because we believe that there are more services that are available for you to help you. And so we believe in partnering with our community. And, and so what we ask you to do is to call the church or to, to email office at lowellag.org and we will put you in touch with them directly and they will help bridge you into services. Some of you are just getting by and you're, you're kind of, I don't know how to do it on a fixed income that's this small. There's so many services available and we want to help bridge that for you. you we love you. Listen, we, in, in our church, I don't know about our American culture, but in our church, it, it, you're, if you're older, you're not aged, you're wise. And we need your wisdom in our life. And we love you and we want to make sure the best care is there for you. Amen? And so if you know somebody in that, can, that situation and you want to refer them to us, we will get elder services connected with them and, and help make that bridge happen. Well, today I want to talk with you about discovering purpose. There's no fingerprint the same. There's no snowflake alike. You are not one in a million. You are one of a kind. And that takes us discovering who God has called us to be. And that comes out of life. And in our church here, you just heard Pastor Kevin uh, lead us in our time of giving. And I want to thank those of you for being faithful in your giving. I want to encourage those of you that have stopped or have never started. There's never been a time more that we need your faithfulness to make the difference we're doing. But Pastor Kevin is somebody who has discovered purpose. He's making a difference. And we thought it would be awesome to get his story up on the screen and out to you. So if you turn your attention to the video screen, let's take a look at Pastor Kevin Destin's life. Isn't that amazing? We got a thug pasta. <laughs> The thing I love about Kevin is, is he's just so mellow and he's no drama and he's got just such an open heart and a willingness to do whatever. And uh, he's plugging in where the needs are right now with kids and, you know, picking up stuff and doing videos and all that kind of stuff. And we just so greatly appreciate him. I also want to say thank you so much to Thomas for putting that video together. Was that not skillful? He did a great job with that. And uh, we have many more on the horizon coming out because we believe that this... The biggest thing about our church, the greatest thing about our church is not us, it's you, and it's your story. And that's what it's called a testimony. We give testimony of what God has done in our life. And some of those testimonies are filled with pain. They come out of hurt and heartache, but through the ashes, Jesus rises and resurrects our lives. And, and that's really what I want to talk with you today about, is the purpose that God can bring from your life, to, that he wants you to discover that with him as a part of your life, woven through your daily life, a great purpose can come out of that and glorify him. And so if you'd pray with me, I'm going to ask that God would just take the simple words that I have to speak and would just land some profound truth into your life. He knows your needs. He knows where you're at. He knows what you need to hear. 
and how you need to hear it. And so God, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would be with us a little deeper with your word. You say it's God-breathed, it's life. And I pray that it would bring strength and courage and intentionality to us as we not only know you and find freedom, but today as we talk about discovering purpose so that once we do that, we can begin to make a difference for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a friend of mine, he used to always talk about shape. He said, Paul, you gotta get your church in shape. And I was like, what, what is that? He said, it's really an, an acronym for a couple of things. Spiritual gifts, get, just newsflash, you are gifted by God. You might not know it, you might not know what it is, but you're gifted by God, and that's exactly what Next is for. In fact, it, we go through that, we give you a whole bunch of different tests to help you understand better, how, how am I geared? Like, what, it, what are the ways that God could use me? Listen, if you're an introvert, God isn't looking to make you an extrovert. If you're an extrovert, God isn't looking to stifle your personality. He doesn't want to stifle it. He wants to use your heartbeat. There are things that you're passionate about that, that move you, that don't move everybody, but God moves you because he needs you to make a difference in that area. And then your abilities. There are different things that you can do. There's skills that have been honed, education that's been given, um, things you've been exposed to, your personality, and then your experiences. Some of us have been through some incredible experiences. I think of one of the other stories we're going to be putting together is the life of Vivian Rosenberg, who in the time that I've been here at this church, lost her nephew, lost um, her father, lost her mother, and you know what she did? She took that experience, she took her personality, which loves to care for people, she took her ability to connect and organize, she took her heart, which was deeply committed to it, and her spiritual gift of encouragement, and she said, my husband and I are going to run a thing called grief share, and if somebody is going through a, a, a loss, sometimes that could be 10, 20 years. If you don't grieve properly, it bleeds through your life. And so she's dedicated herself by being exactly what this is there. And, and we want to see that for you. No fingerprints the same, no snowflakes alike. You're not one in a million, you're one of a kind. And God has purpose for you, but we need to get it in shape. I also want you to know online, we put those tests that we have. If you go up there, you'll see um, a, a tab at the top called purpose. And if you click on it, all of these different tests are available to you. The only one that would cost you money is the one called Strength Finder, which happens, in my opinion, to be probably one of the best ones you could take because it shows what's right with you, not what's wrong. You ever take those tests and they're like, uh, melancholy. You're given to detail, but you tend to always be pessimistic. Choleric, you take charge, and everybody hates you for it. You know, and it's like, what, how does this help me? A strength finder is incredible and in then it shows you not what's wrong with you, what's right with you. We've been, told, we've been told to strengthen your weaknesses and all of that is wrong. No, that's not even biblical. The Bible says that not everybody's the hand, not everybody's the foot. What we do is, is we live according to our strengths and we connect to the community of Jesus and we partner according to our weaknesses because we're not intended to be isolated and alone. We're best when we work together, amen? And that's what the body of Christ is all about. So you can look at those. I want to remove the mystery from who I am. My personality, Myers-Briggs, the FBI uses this. My personality is the commander. I am not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. <laughs> that's my personality. Uh, I'm a naturalist. Like, sounds like, what do you mean a hippie? Well, some people love tradition. 
You know, you love it when we do communion. You love it liturgy. Or some of you love serving. You feel God more when you're serving doing something than any other moment. They're all different kinds of pathways. Mine in particular is a naturalist. You know what a good, a good trip for me is? I'm alone in New Hampshire in peak foliage for a couple of days with nobody sitting up on top of a mountain reflecting. And it just recharges me so much. Well, of course, I'm up there with my wife next to me, recharging. And uh, <laughs> uh, Enneagram, uh, the Enneagram, I saw somebody put something out there about the Enneagram is connected to uh, demonic stuff or whatever. These are just personality tests. There's nothing, um, I still love Jesus. I'm leading a church, and so uh, I haven't got the number 666 going through my head ever since I started doing the Enneagram. I want to encourage you, any of you are kind of apprehensive to that. It, I, could, I could talk it through with you, but my personality is a challenger. You see, I just did it right there. I challenged a different belief, but I'm also an achiever. I, I, I kind of need to make stuff happen. My spiritual gifts are there. My strength finders are there, and you already know who I am. It would be great to know who you are because we believe that God has a place for you, a purpose for you, and we want to help develop that for you to make a greater difference. I had somebody come up just recently and say, I really, I heard about what we want to do for the, for the homeless and for Appleton Street and addicts, and I know that we've got a plan that's developing, but it's not going along quickly, and I'd love to learn how to write grants. Would that be okay with you? I was like, sure, <laughs> you know? So we're looking into getting a 503C and trying to really make a huge difference and a huge impact there. But there's a difference between a dream and a purpose. Uh, really, a dream is kind of that thing that you have aspirations and hope for, but a purpose rises out of you living your life in the context of what God's given you. And when it comes to dreaming, I really feel like so many of us have stopped dreaming. We need to learn to dream again. One person once said that when your dreams, when your, when your memories exceed your dreams, the end is in sight. More people fail not because of the lack of, of talent, but because of the lack of purpose. And people, when you have no purpose, there are some of us that we never got it or never really even, never really sought it out. Some of us here today, uh, we have purpose, but it's not the right purpose that God intended for our life. Some of us, we have a stale purpose. We, we dialed into what God would want from us and what God has for us, but, but the passion is, and the fire has gone down and we haven't fed it and we're feeling discouraged because it just seems further away than ever before. Or maybe it's a vague dream, a vague purpose that, that you never really took the time. You're just like, I, I just live my life as it comes and goes, and didn't think maybe God wants more intentionality from you, more focus for just a little period of time so that you can go about your life in the way that God wants you to live it, to glorify him in the way that he shaped you. See, the real thing that God wants to give you is a God-honoring purpose. That's cultivated. That means you need to work at it, and that's what I want to share with you here this morning and share with you today that it's found in the book of Genesis from one verse, and that's simply um, where I'm going to start. When it comes to, normally in our church, we go through books of the Bible. We've gone through the book of Romans. We've gone through the book of Psalms. We've gone through the book of Exodus, and we've gone through the minor prophets, and many of you maybe have never even cracked those books, but we've cracked them here, and we go verse by verse, and, and it's good, but every once in a while, a topic, a subject's good, and when it comes to a subject like this, I think the best way to see it is in, out of somebody's life. 
And Joseph is one of the best examples of finding purpose. And you don't need to turn there. I'm going to simply turn there for you. In discovering purpose, Genesis 36, 19, his brothers see him, Joseph, the young boy, coming from afar, and they say to each other, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. You see, to understand and appreciate that verse, you have to understand the back story. First of all, Joseph is the second youngest in his family. The other thing is, is that Jacob, his father, had one too many wives. Now, what I like about the Bible is, is the Bible doesn't condone everything that it writes about, but it writes even the downsides of people's lives so that we can learn from their mistakes. How many of you would rather learn from somebody else's failure than go through that, right? I'm all about it. Like, I just like, I look at Peter in the Bible and I'm like, yup, nope, ain't doing it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ditch that problem. Like, I can learn from somebody else's mistake. I don't have to do it. And, and um, you know, when it comes to Joseph, he, he does some things in his life that are kind of like no-nos when it comes to dreams. First of all, he's the youngest, second youngest in his family. He's a tattletale. How many of you were the baby of the family? Raise your hand and wave it real quick. I see those hands. Um, how many of you tattled on your brother and sister? <laughs> Their hands went right back up, right? Look at this. In Genesis 37, 2, it talks about Joseph that he brought a bad report of them, his brothers, to their father. So Joseph is the youngest one, but whenever there's stuff going on, he says, Dad, Dad, do you know what they just did? When you start that conversation with a parent, whether you want the tattle or not, you're like, no, tell me what they did. You know, it's too late then. A parent's, of course, a parent's going to listen to the, the fuller story of that. I used to tattle on my older brother. And then one day, he took me, and he tied my hands and feet together in back of me, threw me in the closet, closed the door, and then for the next 40 minutes, he brought all of the kids in the neighborhood and opened the door and saw me and showed me off and laughed and closed the door, and I've just never been the same since. <laughs> Trust me, I'd take that over his beatings any day. See, they said to each other, his brothers, in the verse, if you read it out a little further, here comes the dreamer, and then they say, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. What's interesting is that you need to learn that if you have a dream, you need to be careful who you tell it to and how you tell it and when you tell it. Because Joseph's dream was truly from God. See, the backstory to this, not all of us have ever read the life of Joseph or been in church long and, and know it, but let me just give you the backdrop. He has this dream, and as he's dreaming, he sees uh, corn stalks, not corn stalks, wheat stalks, of, that represent all of his brothers, and one that represents him, and he says that all of the stalks bowed down to him. And so, right, little brother comes up and says, guess what? I'm going to be in charge of you. Like, and then you're like, over my dead body. <laughs> Who's in charge now? <laughs> you know, and this is where the origins of beating your little brother and sister come from. And so he goes on a little further, and he has another dream. And in this dream, he sees the stars representing his brothers, but also the sun and the moon representing his mother and father, and they bow down to him. He tells his father that dream, and he's like, listen, Joseph, I get it, you know, your brother's bowing down to you, okay, but, you know, are, my are you, me and my, your mother going to bow down to you? Like, this is a little bit, but it says that the, his father 
pondered those things in his heart, which is the same words that are used for Mary when she heard about Jesus doing things. She pondered those things in her heart. And so he's like, maybe there is something to it. You see, the problem is, is that they put a coat on him. Many of you have heard that it's a multicolored coat, right? Like maybe you've seen Joseph in the Technicolor coat play or the commercial for that, but the proper interpretation for that is a long-sleeved coat, a coteleth. And what would happen is, is if you were a patriarch, you were like a king that lived in tents, and you would, the patriarch would wear this coat the same way that a king might wear a robe, and it identified who the next patriarch was. And the thing I love about Judaism that Christianity needs to grab is, is that they treat their kids like adults before they are, and they treat their leaders like leaders before they are. So when you're 13 now, but it used to be 12, you were bar mitzvahed as a boy, bath mitzvahed as a girl, and you became a part of the adult discussions, and you were developed in that time so that when you had to be that person, you were already mature. Now we've got kids that are 25 and 30 years old and they act like 13 and 14 years of age. It's crazy. But Joseph's father put the coat on him, basically saying, you're going to be the next patriarch. And this is why they wanted to kill him. This is why they wanted to cover that coat in blood. They were angry. My little brother's really going to lord himself over me? There were brothers that were older than him from another mom, but his father chose him. And it there's something to be said about favoritism and parenting that you have to be careful with. I always tell both of my kids, I say, you're my favorite son. He says, you tell Ethan that too. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. This was the, the hostility behind everything that's there. You know, there's a big difference between a dream and a purpose. Joseph had a dream. He wasn't wise in how he shared it. But when you go to interpret your own dreams, you usually narcissistically interpret them for your own benefit. Joseph is like, my brothers are going to bow down to me. They're going to throw gold at me. They're going to they're going to get they're going to get me hot pockets and and chicken wings and you know they're going to you know and he's a young kid he's immature he doesn't understand that that to, to much is given much is required and he doesn't even begin to understand that the dream is from God but the purpose is is the important part not the dream the purpose and that's going to unfold to him out of life but there's a difference between a dream and a purpose a dream is a cherished ambition or ideal, but a, pur pur a purpose is the reason for which something exists. I want you to know you have dreams, and I am not going to begin to tell you that God is in that dream and God's not in that dream. You have aspirations. I'm not here to tell you what are God's aspirations for your life and what aren't. You know, if they contradict scripture or compromise your faith, you can be sure that that's not godly aspiration or dream for your life. Sometimes you got to modify those things, you know, but God has designed him to be a part of that. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to purpose. That's the most important thing in your life to discover because you are not an accident. You are not one in a million. You're one of a kind and God has a purpose for your life. He's given you the experiences you've had. He's given you the talents and the exposures that you've been given so that you can be a tool, a weapon, a partner with him to make a difference in this world for eternity. And Joseph couldn't get that. See, a dream is a hope of future possibilities, but purpose is the daily practice and application of your life towards that outcome. The difference between a God dream and a personal desire, I hear it all the time. When I was in Bible college, and there are a couple of my friends here that, that are still teaching at the school, and students come up and like, God told me to do this. I'd be like, yeah. You know, and they point out the, 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 the most beautiful girl on campus, the Lord told me to marry her. I'm like, that's a dream, brother. I have a dream. 
<laughs> okay. No, you have a fantasy, young man. <laughs> See, the difference between a chosen purpose versus having God reveal his purpose to you, now that is profound. Because then you begin to realize all that I am, all the skills that I have, all my personality, all of these things are for God and to glorify him. Don't get me wrong, listen, we all wake up, we eat breakfast, we work, we do stuff. I'm not sitting around in the church praying and reason, reading you know, Christian uh, blogs and podcasts. We work wicked hard in this office. You, you just talk, ask any of the staff, is Pastor Paul like go easy on you or does he work you? They'll be like, I can't say that because my job will be at stake. <laughs> I, we work very, very hard, and you work very, very hard. Some of you work crazy hours, and then you serve in the church. I'm not, and most of life is just life. But if you're living your life on purpose, if you're living it on design, if you're intentional to, to say, hey, God, how can I take me and allow you to work through me so that you're glorified? each step of the way. Then you see purpose begin to emerge out of that. And that's what was going to happen with Joseph. And here's, here's the most profound truth I think I could lay on you this morning is that perfect, purpose perfects us through problems. You've been here long enough, you, you come to know that we believe that God blesses. But Jesus also said, in this life you will have many troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Life is not without sorrow, but it's also not without blessing. It's about the journey and how we journey through and carry well our, our witness for Jesus and his work in our life through those difficult seasons. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but the, the movies, The Lord of the Rings, were actually written by a Christian. And I've watched all of them several times. I can't think of a single moment where there was any profanity in it. I can't think of a moment there is no nudity in it. Uh, but he wrote that because the author, J.R. Tolkien, actually participated in World War I. He went to school, and all of his friends would hang out in a coffee shop. And then they would do life together, and it turned out that they all got recruited together, and they all went to the front in that horrible war. And when it was all said and done, he came back alone, sitting in that coffee shop, looking at the seats where all of his friends used to sit. He was staring at the horrors of life, and he, he, he couldn't, and he, he took his life experience of his friendship and that fellowship and the horrors of evil and the reality of the greed of power and all of those themes and wove them into that whole series. And there's this one moment that really speaks to what we're talking about where this, this short man, Frodo, a hobbit, has nothing really special about him, but yet he's the fate of the world's in his hands, which I think it, that speaks to us, that we don't have to be big and special. God is looking to use ordinary and simple people like you and me. In fact, if he does it through somebody that's big and special, that's easy, of course. But when he uses ordinary people like us, the attention doesn't go to the person, it goes to God. But Frodo turns to this guy Gandalf, and he says to him, I wish that none of this had happened. That came out from a moment when he was sitting in that coffee shop looking at the empty seats of his friends, and he said, I wish this war never happened. I wish it didn't happen. And then he pens out the words of Gandalf, who replies to him and says, so do all people who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time given to us.
I almost want to say hallelujah, but it's not a Bible verse. (laughs) What I want to say is this, that while dreams come out of hope and aspiration, purpose is the core important thing you need to discover for your life because it's the thing that evolves out of the difficulties and the problems. Purpose perfects us through problems. Look at Joseph's life. He's betrayed and almost murdered by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's framed for rape. He's thrown in prison. He's forgotten by people that could have helped him. With family like Joseph's, who needs foes? And right now in this room, I could put a microphone up to any one of you and say, tell me the lowest moments of your life. And you could tell me of your prisons. You could tell me of your betrayals. You could tell me of your unjust framings. You could go through all of those different things and in heartache and brokenness say, I just, it's so wrong, it's so wrong. But this is where people either make or break themselves for God because you have to come to grips with the truth called the sovereignty of God, which means that in simple, I would say it like this. Not everybody is going to allow God to use them. People have free will. But God, being above all things, has enough people and enough resource in heaven to make sure that the outcome goes the way he intends it to go. There's no evil that God's, God tempts no man with evil, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires. Sin tempts them, and sin gives birth to death. That, that, that God is not sovereignly orchestrating your bad situations. What he is doing is sovereignly working them out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if you just look at problems as problems and not as an opportunity for God to extract purpose, you'll miss the secret sauce. Joseph's life was cooked by his brothers. It was, it was a horrible story that made the idea of his life and dream to happen almost impossible. In fact, the further he got into life, the farther his dream seemed even possible to happen until he began to yield. There's a, a, there's a, a German phrase. It's a theological phrase, but I want... Will you guys try German with me? I grew up, my grandmother spoke German and my grandfather spoke Irish where they got mad at each other. They both yelled at each other in their original language. My grandfather didn't know a lot of words, but he called my grandmother, Herr Director, Herr Director, you know, the, the head director, you know, yes. But it's called this, it's Sitz im Lieben. Try that. Sitz im Lieben. Yeah, you got to say it like that. Und Sitz it Lieben. <laughs> It means set in life. It's actually a theological term that helped people when they were looking at the stories of the patriarchs and David and all of them, that their life only makes sense set in the life that they lived, in the context that they lived it. And guess what? When it comes to the purpose that God has for your life, it only makes sense out of the context that it's set in, and that context is sometimes difficult situations. But Joseph made a choice to say, if my life is going to be difficult, then I'm going to actually make something out of it. And you see it. Watch this. Genesis chapter 39, verses 22 to 23. And the keeper of prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to that 
was, that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. What does Joseph do in all these horrible situations? Does he sit around and throw a fit for his dream? No. He says, I can't live the life I think I should live. I have to live the life that's been given to me. Nobody who lives to see such times thinks that, but it's what you do with the time that you've been given. So what does Joseph do? He takes his gift of administration and leadership, and he applies it when he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And it says the same exact thing. Nothing was worried about by Potiphar. He gave total charge to Joseph over the entire house because the Lord was with him and caused favor. His gift turned out to be administration and leadership. Maybe yours is empathy. Maybe yours is giving care to others. Maybe yours is encouragement. Maybe years is giving. I don't know what it is, but he, he took that, and instead of being in a bad place and becoming worse and bittered by it, he made the best of what it is. He cultivated it. And then when he was in, when he was in prison, he exercised it there. Then, when he was in prison, two guys come up to him and say, hey, we had two dreams, and he has a spiritual gift to interpret dreams. And he says, hey, here's how it's going to happen. In three days, you're going to be back with Pharaoh, and he's going to forgive you. And the other guy goes, what about me? He goes, in three days, Pharaoh's going to take your head from your body. Sorry. And it went exactly as he did. But Joseph turns to that cupbearer, the guy who's going to live and be returned to Pharaoh, and he says, please, just do me one thing. Remember me. Oh, remember me. How many times do you and I put our hope in a person instead of God? Because the truth is, is that man forgot him. But my wife brought out a really great point. It says in Scripture right at this point, but the Lord remembered Joseph. See, people might forget you, but God doesn't forget you. The Lord remembered Joseph, and the cupbearer, that night, Pharaoh has a dream. And he sees seven fat cows and seven lean, and the lean ones consume the fat ones. And he sees the same thing with grain. Good and bad consumes it. And nobody in all of Egypt can interpret it. They had a book of dreams, that, and there was no way to line it up with this book of dream of like this catalog, and nobody knew what to do. And then one of the guys, the cupbearer, says, uh, I'm reminded there's a man in prison who interpreted these dreams, and it went exactly the way he said. And Pharaoh says, bring him before me. Joseph comes before him, and Pharaoh says, I heard that you interpret dreams. He says, no, Pharaoh, God will give you the answer, for God interprets all dreams. Guess what? You don't have to have any particular gift at all. If you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, God's gifts are yours at your resource according to your need, and God can use you any way he needs you in the moment. And he goes up and he says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. He says, there's going to be seven fat years where everything's going to be great, and then there's going to be an extended seven years of horrific famine and starvation. And then Joseph moves from his spiritual gift of interpreting dreams, and now he begins to talk out loud as an administrative leader. And he says, what you need to do is, is assign somebody over this project. In the time of the, of the fat years, you should gather together and store up the grain, portion it like this, and then during the lean years, distribute and sell that to the people, and this way will keep catastrophe from hitting the earth. He went from his spiritual gift to his, his, um, his spiritual gift of dreams to his ability to lead and to, de- and to administrate and to, to delegate and all that. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, who better than this man to take the position? And in one minute, that man moves from decades of downward spiraling of despair and difficulty, and then the purpose for which he was born, instantly he's elevated to that place as second greatest man on the face of the earth.
See, there's lessons in the purpose discovering and reasons why this is why we exist as a church because jo- Joseph is just one. I could sit here all day and talk about him, but uh, I want to go out and ride that ATV for police scout out there. <laughs> listen, listen to these lessons. I just jotted down stuff I said. When I look at Joseph's life on purpose and the importance of purpose, I was like, the purpose of God never looks like the vision, but both come from God. You may have had a vision, a dream, a desire, an aspiration, but how that's fulfilled in your life and for the reason with which God does it don't always look the same, but that's okay. It's God who does those things. Second is this, if you have any kind of spiritual experience, please don't chase the vision. It'll chase you if it's from God. Discover purpose. Discovering purpose comes out of the setting of life. Zitz im Leben, which basically means that Stop living the life of thinking about tomorrow of where you hope to be and start making the very best of who you are and where you're at. Stop thinking about my troubles will go away when or I'll be happy when and start looking at the life that God's given you and start cultivating the ground and sowing your giftings, sowing your abilities, sowing your personality, look for with intentionality, care for it, nurture it, and allow God to grow some fruit through your life where you are and realize that God knows how to get you where he wants you to be, and if he wants you there, he'll get you there, and if he doesn't, he won't, but the one thing that you'll miss if you don't cultivate your life is purpose. If you're the biggest thing in your world, how small of a world that is. When we interpret our own dreams, we do them selfishly and we think of them from our perspective, but really, at the end of the day, any dream that God gives you, any purpose that God gives you, is for others. It's for the body of Christ. It's for the lost. And when we allow God to unfold his purpose by making the most of the life we have, true purpose comes out of that, and we begin to make a difference. I'm going to ask Boaz to come up, and I'm going to end this real quick. I have one simple verse and two simple thoughts. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I just uh, ordered some glasses. I had to return them because I got progressives, and all of a sudden I thought I was going to vomit. Yeah, any, anyone who's laughing has probably like worn progressives before, but like I couldn't do it. So I sent them back, and you know they have this deal. And, but, but I can't see, I can't even read what time it is back there. I can't, my, my sight is, is not great for distance, and I need it a little bit, so I'm gonna have bifocals when I'm up here. And, but they look pretty cool. They're pretty cool glasses. It took me a long time to uh, figure it out, but I got them. But if you have perfect vision, you have what's called 20-20 vision. You don't need glasses. You see far away, middle, and up close. Perfectly fine, but you know, sometimes as you age or things are you know, different, you, you, you have to get glasses. And while I talk about 20-20 vision, Joseph's life speaks to 50-20 vision. Not, not glass sizes, but Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where he says this. He says, as for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. I love how, you know, when it comes to people traumatizing you and doing wrong, you can't just say, no, 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 it's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. No, wrong, wrong is wrong. You, you need to talk through your trauma with someone. That's why we have counseling services here at this church, because unaddressed trauma bleeds through your behavior for the rest of your life until you talk out that story and reframe that narrative. And if Joseph had just kept bottling it up, I imagine when he was in prison, he was talking to God. God, this is wrong. This is unfair. This is, oh my goodness. I, 
I, I know that I did wrong to them. I tattled on them, but, but do I deserve this? And he, he processed that with God. Maybe he processed it with other people. We need to process those things. But at, he, you need to call wrong, wrong, and say, as for you, you meant evil against me. There are people that have done evil to you. They meant to do evil, and you can't call it anything else. It is what it is. But God meant it for good. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God caused that evil to happen. The devil doesn't need to do very much in this world. Man does so much more on his own that is destructive and evil and perverse and wrong and twisted. Man can destroy himself. In fact, that's what hell did. The devil said, just did God really say not to eat that fruit? That's all he did. He gets us to destroy ourselves. No, God doesn't bring that evil, but you know what God did? He meant it for good. He used it. He used every single false accusation, every single betrayal, every single difficult situation to move Joseph what seemed like it was further and further away. But when he was with Pharaoh, and when he was with uh, Potiphar, Potiphar was the defense guard for, for Pharaoh, which meant that when Joseph was put in prison, he wasn't put in any prison. He was put in the prison where Pharaoh's prisoners go. And when he was in prison, he didn't interpret anyone's dreams. He interpreted people that had access to Pharaoh because God knew that if they're going to throw him in prison, I'll make sure he gets in the right prison. If they're going to put him in a cell, I'll make sure the right cellmate is near him. If he's going to get put away, I'm going to make sure that he's set free in a way that changes this world. Well, as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What a difference between a kid dreaming that his brothers will serve and bow him to him to realizing that he had a whole journey of suffering, but that he made the best of the life that he had, and that, that actually made him become the person of purpose God wanted him to be. And it just turned out that this little nobody of a kid ended up saving the entire world. What could, God, what, what, what could God do through your life if you allowed him the right to determine your purpose instead of you dictating to him what it is? What could God do through your life if you yielded in the difficult hours of your darkness and the prisons and the betrayals and said, oh God, you didn't do this to me. So many people, this is what you're about. I want. God didn't do that, man did that to you. But here's the one thing that will keep you from all the purpose that God could ever have for your life, and it's seen so clearly in Joseph's story. It's unforgiveness. Jesus said it like this, if you cannot forgive your brother his sins against you, how can your heavenly Father forgive you? And yet there are so many people in the church across the world, so many people in the pulpit or on the platform where sometimes our bitter experiences get the best of us and we just hold on to it and all of a sudden you hit the brakes and the first face that comes into your mind is that person there are some of you in this room right now there are people that are no longer in your life they aren't even alive anymore but when a frustrating enraged moment happens in your life that person and that problem pops back up anybody know what I'm talking about here that's because there's a root of unforgiveness. And forgiveness, listen to this. Joseph had that moment where his brothers were bowing before him. He walked out of the room and wept and had to come back. And then finally he said, it's me. It's your brother Joseph. And they were, 
filled with terror because he, he could flick his wrist and kill them all. He said, do not be afraid. What you intended against me was evil, but God used it for good. God used it for good. I wonder if we could stand across this room and as we close, I want us to, to turn our attention just very briefly to that person that has remained with us even though they're no longer with us. Or maybe you can't get rid of them. They're a family member, an in-law, an outlaw. I don't know. You can't get rid of them. More importantly, you can't get rid of their forgiveness. Guess what? If you wait to feel to be forgiving to somebody, you'll never do it. And to say, I forgive you, doesn't mean to say you were right and I was wrong. Nope, doesn't. It just means I'm not going to allow this prison. I'm not going to allow this pit. I'm not going to allow Potiphar's wife. I'm not going to allow anybody to own me except for Jesus. And I choose forgiveness. That's the first step. And after that, you begin to say, God, how have you shaped me? You can jump online and do all those things, but we're going to do this right now. With our eyes closed, our heads bowed. Father, right now, I just feel a very simple altar call. There's a person, there's a, a place in life, somebody who meant wrong on purpose. But God, if you can take all those situations that Joseph went through to bring him to the purpose that you designed him for, then you can get me to where you want me to be. First of all, Lord, I don't want to blame you for where I am. I don't want to give you the credit of the evil that people have done. You don't deserve that. You're good even when people aren't. But I want you to know I'm going to focus my abilities, my heart, my experiences, my personality, my spiritual gifts, all like a garden. I'm going to water them, I'm going to feed them, and I'm going to not live the life I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to in my dreams. I'm going to live the life that you've given me. And that out of that, purpose is going to be fruitful, and I'm going to make a difference for you. Be glorified in my life. But right now, God, I make a choice. I'm probably not going to feel it. In fact, I'm going to probably have these feelings come back, and each time I'm going to remind myself, forgiveness is a choice, but I forgive those people that are responsible for my pits, for framing. Lord, I also need to forgive myself for my reckless and careless and selfish behavior that's created problems for others. I just choose that. And in exchange, we choose you. We choose your purpose for our life. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you missed any part of this sermon or you want to catch it again, you can do so by going to Apple Podcast, YouTube, or Spotify. And I also encourage you to go to lolag.org or ne-cc.org if you want to stay up to date on everything we have going on. God bless, and we'll see you next week.